Chapter Twenty Three of Marius the Epicurean, Volume Two, by Walter Pater. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Three, Divine Service. Wisdom hath builded herself a house; she hath mingled her wine; she hath also prepared for herself a table. The more highly favored ages of imaginative art present instances of the summing up of an entire world of complex associations under some single form like the Zeus of Olympia, or the series of frescoes which commemorate the acts of St. Francis at Assisi, or like the play of Hamlet, or Faust. It was not in an image, or series of images, yet still in a sort of dramatic action, and with the unity of single appeal to eye and ear that Marius about this time found all his new impressions set forth, regarding what he had already recognized intellectually, as for him at least, the most beautiful thing in the world. To understand the influence upon him of what follows, the reader must remember that it was an experience which came amid a deep sense of vacuity in life. The fairest products of the earth seemed to be dropping to pieces as if in men's very hands around him. How real was their sorrow, and his! His observation of life had come to be like the constant telling of a sorrowful rosary, day after day, till as if taking infection from the cloudy sorrow of the mind, the eye also, the very senses were grown faint and sick. And now it happened as with the actual morning on which he found himself a spectator of this new thing. The long winter had been a season of unvarying sullenness. At last, on this day, he awoke with a sharp flash of lightning in the earliest twilight. In a little while the heavy rain had filtered the air. The clear light was abroad, and as though the spring had set in with a sudden leap in the heart of things, the whole scene around him lay like some untarnished picture beneath a sky of delicate blue. Under the spell of his late depression, Marius had suddenly determined to leave Rome for a while. But desiring first to advertise Cornelius of his movements and failing to find him in his lodgings, he had ventured still early in the day to seek him in the Sicilian villa. Passing through its silent and empty courtyard, he loitered for a moment to admire. Under the clear but immature light of winter morning, after a storm, all the details of form and color in the old marbles were distinctly visible, and with a kind of severity, or sadness, so it struck him, amid their beauty. In them, and in all other details of the scene, the cypresses, the bunches of pale daffodils in the grass, the curves of the purple hills of Tusculum, with the drifts of virgin snow still lying in their hollows. The little open door through which he passed from the courtyard admitted him into what was plainly the vast lararium, or domestic sanctuary of the Sicilian family, transformed in many particulars, but still richly decorated, and retaining much of its ancient furniture in metalwork and costly stone. The peculiar half-light of dawn seemed to be lingering beyond its hour upon the solemn marble walls. And here, though at the moment in absolute silence, a great company of people was assembled. In that brief period of peace during which the church emerged for a while from her jealously guarded subterranean life, the rigor of an earlier rule of exclusion had been relaxed. And so it came to pass that on this morning Marius saw for the first time the wonderful spectacle, wonderful especially in its evidential power over himself, over his own thoughts, of those who believe. There were not noticeable among those present great varieties of rank, of age, of personal type. The Roman ingenuous, with the white toga and gold ring, stood side by side with his slave, 
and the air of the whole company was above all a grave one, an air of recollection. Coming thus unexpectedly upon this large assembly, so entirely united in a silence so profound, for purposes unknown to him, Marius felt for a moment as if he had stumbled by chance upon some great conspiracy. Yet that could scarcely be, for the people here collected might have figured as the earliest Hansel, or pattern of a new world, from the very face of which discontent had passed away. Corresponding to the variety of human type there present was the various expression of every form of human sorrow assuaged. What desire, what fulfillment of desire had wrought so pathetically on the features of these ranks of aged men and women of humble condition? Those young men, bent down so discreetly on the details of their sacred service, had faced life and were glad by some science or light of knowledge they had, to which there had certainly been no parallel in the older world. Was some credible message from beyond the flaming rampart of the world a message of hope, regarding the place of men's souls and their interest? In the sum of things, already mouldering anew their very bodies, and looks, and voices, now and here? At least there was a cleansing and kindling flame at work in them, which seemed to make everything else Marius had ever known look comparatively vulgar and mean. There were the children, above all, troops of children, reminding him of those pathetic children's graves like cradles or garden beds he had noticed in his first visit to these places, and they more than satisfied the odd curiosity he had then conceived about them, wondering in what quaintly expressive forms they might come forth into the daylight if awakened from sleep. Children of the catacombs, some but a span long, with features not so much beautiful as heroic, that world of new, refining sentiment having set its seal even on childhood, they retained certainly no stain or trace of anything subterranean this morning in the alacrity of their worship, as ready as if they had been at play, stretching forth their hands, crying, chanting in a resonant voice, and with boldly upturned faces, Christe eleison. For the silence, silence amid those lights of early morning to which Marius had always been constitutionally impressible, as having in them a certain reproachful austerity, was broken suddenly by resounding cries of Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, repeated alternately again and again until the bishop, rising from his chair, made sign that this prayer should cease. But the voices burst out once more presently in richer and more varied melody, though still of an antiphonal character. The men, the women and children, the deacons, the people, answering one another somewhat after the manner of a Greek chorus. But again with what a novelty of poetic accent, what a genuine expansion of heart, what profound intimations for the intellect as the meaning of the words grew upon him. Cum grandi effectu et compunctione dicatur says an ancient Eucharistic order, and certainly the mystic tone of this praying and singing was one with the expression of deliverance, of grateful assurance and sincerity upon the faces of those assembled, as if some searching correction, a regeneration of the body by the Spirit had begun and was already gone a great way, the countenances of men, women, and children alike had a brightness on them which he could fancy reflected upon himself, an amenity, a mystic amiability and unction, which found its way most readily of all to the hearts of children themselves. The religious poetry of those Hebrew psalms, Benedixisti Domine Terum Tuum, Dixit Dominus Domino Mio, Sede Adextris Meus, was certainly in marvelous accord with the lyrical instinct of his own character. 
those august hymns he thought must thereafter ever remain by him as among the well-tested powers and things to soothe and fortify the soul one could never grow tired of them in the old pagan worship there had been little to call the understanding into play here on the other hand the utterance the eloquence the music of worship conveyed as marius readily understood a fact or series of facts for intellectual reception that became evident more especially in those lessons or sacred readings which like the singing and broken vernacular latin occurred at certain intervals among the silence of the assembly there were readings again with bursts of chanted invocation between for fuller light on a difficult path in which many a vagrant voice of human philosophy haunting men's minds from of old recurred with clearer accent than had ever belonged to it before as if it lifted above its first intention into the harmonies of some supreme system of knowledge or doctrine at length complete and last of all came a narrative which with a thousand tender memories every one appeared to know by heart displaying in all the vividness of a picture for the eye the mournful figure of him towards whom this whole act of worship still consistently turned a figure which seemed to have absorbed like some rich tincture in his garment all that was deep felt and impassioned in the experiences of the past it was the anniversary of his birth as a little child they celebrated to-day Astiterunt regis terrae, so the gradual, the song of degrees proceeded, the young men on the steps of the altar responding in deep, clear antiphone or chorus. Astiterunt regis terrae, adversus sanctum puerum tuum, Jesum, nunc domine da servus tuis, loci verbum tuum, et signa fieri, por nomen sancti pueri Jesu and the proper action of the rite itself like a half-open book to be read by the duly initiated mind took up those suggestions and carried them forward into the present as having reference to a power still efficacious still after some mystic sense even now in action among the people there assembled the entire office indeed with its interchange of lessons hymns prayer silence was itself like a single piece of highly composite dramatic music a song of degrees rising steadily to a climax notwithstanding the absence of any central image visible to the eye the entire ceremonial process like the place in which it was enacted was weighty with symbolic significance seemed to express a single leading motive the mystery if such in fact it was centered indeed in the actions of one visible person distinguished among the assistants who stood ranged in semicircle around him by the extreme fineness of his white vestments and the pointed cap with the golden ornaments upon his head nor had marius ever seen the pontifical character as he conceived it secret ungentum in capite descendants in orum vestimenti so fully realized as in the expression the manner and voice of this novel pontiff as he took his seat on the white chair placed for him by the young men and received his long staff into his hand or moved his hands hands which seemed endowed in a very deed with some mysterious power at the lavabo or at the various benedictions or to bless certain objects on the table before him chanting in cadence of a grave sweetness the leading parts of the rite what profound unction and mysticity the solemn character of the singing was at its height when he opened his lips like some new sort of rhapsodos it was for the moment as if he alone possessed the words of the office and they flowed anew from some permanent source of inspiration within him 
The table or altar at which he presided below a canopy on delicate spiral columns was in fact the tomb of a youthful witness of the family of the Cecili, who had shed his blood not many years before, and whose relics were still in this place. It was for his sake the bishop put his lips so often to the surface before him, the regretful memory of that death entwining itself, though not without certain notes of triumph, as a matter of special inward significance, throughout a service which was, before all else, from first to last, a commemoration of the dead. A sacrifice also, a sacrifice it might seem like the most primitive, the most natural and enduringly significant of old pagan sacrifices, of the simplest fruits of the earth. And in connection with this circumstance again, as in the actual stones of the building, so in the rite itself, what Marius observed was not so much new matter as a new spirit, moulding and forming with a new intention many observances not witnessed for the first time to-day. Men and women came to the altar successively in perfect order, and deposited below the lattice-work of pierced white marble their baskets of wheat and grapes, incense, oil for the sanctuary lamps, bread and wine especially, pure wheaten bread, the pure white wine of the Tusculan vineyards. There was here a veritable consecration, hopeful and animating, of the earth's gifts, of old dead and dark matter itself now in some way redeemed at last, of all that we can touch or see in the midst of a jaded world that had lost the true sense of such things, and in strong contrast to the wise emperor's renunciant and impassive attitude towards them. Certain portions of that bread and wine were taken into the bishop's hands, and thereafter with an increasing mysticity and effusion the rite proceeded. Still in a strain of inspired supplication, the antiphonal singing developed, from this point, into a kind of dialogue between the chief minister and the whole assisting company. Sursum corda, habemus et dominum, gratis agamus domino deo nostra. It might have been thought the business, the duty or service of young men more particularly, as they stood there in long ranks and in severe and simple vesture of the purest white, a service in which they would seem to be flying for refuge, as with their precious, their treacherous and critical youth in their hands to one, yes, one like themselves, who yet claimed their worship, a worship above all in the way of Aurelius, in the way of imitation. Adoramus de Christi, Cia procrucum, tuum redemisti mundum, they cry together. So deep is the emotion that at moments it seems to Marius as if some there present apprehend that prayer prevails, that the very object of this pathetic crying himself draws near. From the first there had been the sense, an increasing assurance of one coming, actually with them now according to the oft-repeated affirmation or petition, Dominus Fobiscum. Some at least were quite sure of it. The confidence of this remnant fired the hearts and gave meaning to the bold ecstatic worship of all the rest about them. Prompted especially by the suggestions of that mysterious old Jewish psalmody so new to him, lesson and hymn, and catching therewith a portion of the enthusiasm of those beside him, Marius could discern dimly behind the solemn recitation which now followed, at once a narrative and a prayer the most touching image truly that had ever come within the scope of his mental or physical gaze. It was the image of a young man giving up voluntarily one by one, for the greatest of ends, the greatest gifts, 
actually parting with himself above all with the serenity, the divine serenity of his own soul. Yet from the midst of his desolation crying out upon the greatness of his success, as if foreseeing this very worship, as centre of the supposed facts which for these people were become so constraining a motive of hopefulness of activity, that image seemed to display itself with an overwhelming claim on human gratitude. What St. Louis of France discerned, and found so irresistibly touching across the dimness of many centuries, as a painful thing done for love of him by one he had never seen, was to them almost as a thing of yesterday, and their hearts were whole with it. It had the force among their interests of an almost recent event in the career of one whom their father's fathers might have known. From memories so sublime, yet so close at hand, had the narrative descended in which these acts of worship centered, though again the names of some more recently dead were mingled in it. And it seemed as if the very dead were aware, to be stirring beneath the slabs of sepulchres which lay so near, that they might associate themselves to this enthusiasm, to this exalted worship of Jesus. One by one at last the faithful approached to receive from the chief minister morsels of the great white wheaten cake he had taken into his hands. Perducat, vas ad vishem aeternum, he prays, half silently as they depart again after discreet embraces. The Eucharist of those early days was even more entirely than at any later or happier time an act of thanksgiving, and while the remnants of the feast are borne away for the reception of the sick, the sustained gladness of the rite reaches its highest point in the singing of a hymn, a hymn like the spontaneous product of two opposed militant companies, contending accordingly together, heightening, accumulating their witness, provoking one another's worship in a kind of sacred rivalry. Ite, misa est, cried the young deacons, and Marius departed from that strange scene along with the rest. What was it? Was it this made the way of Cornelius so pleasant through the world? As for Marius himself, the natural soul of worship in him had at last been satisfied as never before. He felt as he left that place that he must hereafter experience often a longing memory, a kind of thirst for all this over again. And it seemed moreover to define what he must require of the powers, whatsoever they might be, that had brought him into the world at all to make him not unhappy in it. End of chapter 23. This recording is in the public domain.